So it's really good to be with you this morning. And what we are doing is we're doing foundations. And in order to do foundations, we need to understand what happens, happens to us in salvation. And so last night we talked a little bit about, uh, about salvation, the concept of salvation. And the concept of salvation is quite a big and a deep concept. And so we have to break it into four parts to get a better understanding of what salvation is. So those of you that were, were there last night, we had a memory device that we used. Can you remember what the memory device was that we used? It was a watermelon. And anyone know? Can anyone tell me? I have some rewards here. <laughs> Mimi. So we've got four colors in the watermelon. Do you remember those colors? Maybe someone that wasn't there last night. Who wasn't there last night? Huh? What are the four colors of a watermelon? You answered out of turn, but that's all right. We'll forgive you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was actually looking over there. But I'm thinking more and more that maybe I'm squint because this has happened to me a couple of times. But good answer, you can have a Kit Kat. And also, thank you so much for helping me with my car. Right, so we've got black for sin. Black is representative of sin. Red is representative of Jesus' blood. White is representative of the authority that we receive in Christ. And green is the fruitful practices that God wants us to do in order to live a fruitful Christian life. And so we covered black last night. And we looked at, for those of you that weren't there quickly, there are four words in Greek and Hebrew that, can, that resemble sin or that gets translated into sin in English. So it's a wider concept than just sin. So if you read in Bible, you've got to ask yourself the question, what word is this? Because there's the word amartya, you missed the mark. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jeremiah 1 verse 5 says that God knew you before he formed you in your mother's womb, that he consecrated and he set you apart to be a prophet to the nations. And so the point is that you're not here on this earth because you're an accident. There are no karafan babas in the kingdom. You know what a karafan baba is? It's normally a lot like making work. Your parents went on holiday, you've got two or three brothers, and then there's a chlipsy on the holiday. And then whoops, out pops little Yanni or Pity, because um, mum and dad wasn't careful enough. And so you might think that you a lot, Lamiki, that you're an accident. You're not an accident. There are no accidents. God has a plan and a purpose and a destiny for your life. But all of us miss it because we're not connected to God when we're born. It's like you've got a cell phone. If you don't have a SIM card in there, you're not on the network. You can't communicate to God. And so Jesus had to come firstly to correct that, to put us onto the network so that we could have a relationship with him, so that we could find out what is our plan, purpose, and destiny. And then you've got the next level of sin, which is trespass. We do things that we shouldn't do, but we don't do them on purpose. We don't do them, we're not really searing our conscience. It might be something that you accidentally do. You might tell a story about someone and don't maliciously mean to gossip and then it might hurt that person or someone might be sensitive about someone or you might not do things that you should do like raise your children correctly um, and because of that people get hurt and so there's a trespass it's not it's not a it's not a willful sin but it's still a sin because it brings hurt brokenness and division within us and we might all relate to that maybe you had an overbearing father or a mother 
and that's had an influence on you. And that's also sin, but it's not the type of sin that there's a rule or a law against. And then you get the sin that there is a rule and a law against, and that's transgression. It's the Ten Commandments. Don't murder, don't kill, don't steal, don't sleep with another person's wife uh, or a wife that's not your own or a husband that's not your own. Don't, uh, what are the other ones? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Have no other gods beside him. Don't lie. Don't be a false witness. And we, we do these things. And when we do them and we break those laws, our conscience tells us that we're doing something wrong. And so it brings this, this, this fearfulness to us. Because when we do something wrong, there's always that expectation of, I'm going to get punished, you know? You know this, because when I was small and I did something wrong, like my parents left me at home. They, they left me at home for two months. They went to Hong Kong on a boat trip. And they took my sister and they thought, you know, you're matric. You're old enough. You can take care of yourself. And I said, yes, I am. So I bunked school and we had great parties at the house. And when they came back, I was very fearful because I knew the neighbors might tell my parents and my dad wouldn't be very happy with me. And so it caused me to shrink away from my dad. Not because my dad was a bad person, but because I knew I had done wrong. It's just the way that we are. Sin causes us to isolate and withdraw. But God loved. You see, that's the message that came through this morning. And then the fourth level is, there's a type of sinfulness that habitually can maybe get passed on from one generation to the next. It's called twistedness or iniquity. It's like we become ungodly. It's another form of sin. So maybe if you look at your family line, there's fearfulness, depression, anxiety. There's uh, maybe things like bankruptcy, murder, divorce. You know, these things that are not God's blessing that come through the family lines to us. And the good news this morning is, is that the red, the blood of Jesus has come to correct every single level of sin that there is. Because God so loved you that he wants you to walk in goodness and blessing and fruitfulness and multiplication and rest in your life. And the, and the wonderful thing about God is, is when God saves us, he gives us a new heart, but he, we, we're not automatically new. We still have our old habits. We still might struggle with sin. We still might. And so God, then we start walking this walk where we, we get transformed. We get changed. Romans 12, 2, we get transformed by the renewal of our mind, for instance. But that's just one aspect. That's just your mind. But then your relationships need to start getting reconciled. Maybe in family and so on. So God walks this walk with us. But he gives us his blood. Now, you know, this is one of those Christianese words that you go like, what's the Bible on about? The blood of Jesus. You know, blood. All I know about blood is that I've got to go to the blood bank and give blood. I see a little bit of blood in my packet of meat that I get at the shop. But blood, to us in the modern context, doesn't mean much. But to Israelite, in the Israelite context, it meant a lot. Because they lived in the sacrificial system. And so let's look at this morning, what does the blood of Jesus mean for us? And what is the implication towards us as God takes us on this journey of making us more like His Son, Jesus Christ? In other words, making us righteous, giving us power, giving us victory. Because the more you walk in victory, the more you're going to know that your life is in, in a blessing. Right? So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the red this morning, the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, and I want to use this little angle on the blood, is that the priests used the, the blood of the sacrifices in four ways. And there was many different. There was fellowship offerings. There was sin offerings. There were, if you look, how many of you have read the book of Leviticus? 
I'm well done. I normally get to like the second chapter and I'm like, I don't get this. You know, do this sacrifice on this. And if you've done this, then cut this thing there and take it to the priest. And I'm like, this sounds like a bunch of recipes. You know, this is like really, really confusing book. So well done for trying to read that. I've also tried. Um, but the blood was used in four different ways by the priests. The blood was sprinkled. The blood was poured. The blood was dipped and it used to be used to be, used to be mark stuff. And the blood was taken and was wrung out, especially doves with the fellowship offering. And these four different ways that the blood was used symbolizes four things that the blood of Jesus does for us. The first, the sprinkling brings consecration. Consecration, big word, eh? Who knows what consecration means? Being set apart, that's what consecration means. What does being set apart mean? It means to be special. So we see when Aaron, Aaron, not quite the same in Afrikaans and English, or it's Aaron, but it's when Aaron and the priests were consecrated to do the work in the most holy place, because the temple was divided into different sections. You know, certain people could go somewhere, and then other people could go a little bit further, and then the high priest once a year, he could go right on to the inside. And so these men that were there to to serve in the temple and do the sacrificial offerings and work in the holy place and bring the showbread and do the prayers and the candles and go into the holy place and pour the blood on the altar once a year and bring atonement for the whole nation of Israel. When they were instituted, when they were brought into service to God, they had these special clothes that they had to wear. These vestments, big word for clothes. And... uh, when they were instituted, when the Dachtul and Obechin, that day, they took blood and oil and they, they took a bull and they sacrificed it, went through a whole ritual and they sprinkled their vestments, symbolizing that God consecrated them for this specific job. So God's got a specific job for you. And in order to do that specific job, he needs to sprinkle you with this blood of his son so that you can be holy and right be prepared but it's not just the fact that God does it for us in heaven but it's also the fact that we have to become holy like him and so 2 Timothy 2 20 and we're going to talk about what does consecration mean now you guys still with me Two Timothy two twenty and two Timothy two twenty one. Now let's read this. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honourable use and some for dishonourable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonourable, he will be a vessel for honourable use, set apart as holy. In other words, consecrated, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. How many of you here want to be used by God? I want to be used by God. What does that scripture say? That in a house, this is a house, there are many vessels. You're a vessel for the Holy Spirit. Some of wood and some of clay and some of gold and silver. Some for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. And the measure to which we allow God to clean us will be the measure to which we will be useful in God's house. And that's what it means to be consecrated. So I've got this. How many of you brush your teeth? Well done. So you get toothbrushes that you brush your teeth with, right? And you get those new ones, those ones. 
those, it's that the electric ones, they're a little bit better apparently than the old ones. I still use the old one. And when you brush your teeth and you use that toothbrush for quite a long time, what happens to the toothbrush? It looks like this. So this week, my, my wife, bless her dear soul, bought me a new toothbrush. Because she said she came into the bowl, she looked at my toothbrush, she said, like, you die, you die, don't get me there, okay. And when the bristles are straight, they get into there where the choppy is, you know, and it helps it to get the choppy out. But if the toothbrush is bent, it can't get there. It's not useful enough. And then my mum used to take that toothbrush, and she used to use it on the toilet. You know, that artery, that, where that big brush can't get in. She could get in there with that toothbrush. And we decide, are we a toothbrush that is going to get used for the mouth, or are we a toothbrush that's going to get used for the... Depends on how we allow ourselves to be cleaned. Right. So if we want to be used by the Lord, we have to get into this, because the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts us. He's the one that moves us. He's the one that makes us righteous. He's the one that makes us usable. So here's an, here's, I'm going to tell a story, okay? And the reason I'm telling a story is not because I'm conceited and I like myself and I think that I'm great and I want you to hear my stories. No, it's a testimony of God's goodness and, and Jesus' blood that was used in my life that's a real story. How many of you, when you watch a movie and you like the movie, then you sit through all those credits because at the end there's that little line that says, this story is based on true events. And that kind of like makes the story so much better. That's, like, that's a testimony. Because when we share our testimonies with one another, we build each other's faith. Because this is my real experience with God. So I'm sharing this testimony with you because I want to build your faith. So when I started working as a pharmacist at Medi Clinic as an intern, they normally took in two interns uh, a year, and they had about ten pharmacists that worked there. And you work very closely together because it's a busy hospital. And the year before, there was a lady there that didn't quite fit into that team. And if you don't fit into the team, you make the work a lot harder for other people in the team. And so when we got out, I've never even met this lady. And, but they were still moaning about her from the previous year talking about her and telling stories and laughing and when you watch that the Skinner is gossip and so the one day I can't even remember where this was but I remember what happened I was somewhere and I just conveyed one of these stories to someone and as I did that it's like the Holy Spirit convicted me you know when the Holy Spirit convicts you and your stomach like drops you weet jy het nou net iets groot verkeerd gedoen and I'm like, I've been following the Lord for a while, and I'm like, God convicts me. I, I'm just, I tell the story, and I realized, flip, i just done something really hectic in God's eyes. And so I said, sorry, Lord. This is my strength. I said, Lord, I feel your conviction. I'm sorry that I, I did this. I apologize. And uh, that feeling just didn't leave. And God said to me, you know what, Mona, you have to go and apologize to that lady. Now picture this. I'd never met her. I'm like, now I've got to go to this lady that I'd never met before, and I've got to go and apologize for telling a story about her. And I, I battled with this for about two weeks. This was, this was a hard thing. But God's presence disappeared. It was just like I couldn't feel him like I used to, the peace, the righteousness, the joy. You know when the, you know when the Holy Spirit is with you? 
you, you know he's with you because you, you feel his love and you feel his acceptance. You feel all the fruits of the Spirit. My fruits turn into dried fruits. And so now I'm in this place. I've, I've either got to obey the Holy Spirit or I'm going to live this dry Christian life. And so God was disciplining me. You know that. God disciplines those that he loves. So I'm like, okay. So I find out where she works. And I go there the one morning. Luckily, when I walk into the pharmacy, there's no one. God's grace, there's no one in the pharmacy. So I walk up to her, I say, hello. (laughs) My name is Mordenay. You don't know me. But I'm so sorry. I told a story about you. About when you worked at medical clinic last year. Will you please forgive me? She kind of like looked at me strangely. She said, no, I forgive you. I said, thank you, and I ran out. Never saw her, saw her again. Do you know what I learned that day? Do you think I, I talk about people? I never talk about people. I don't skin her. Why? Because I don't want to go back to that. That was one of the biggest lessons that I ever learned in God. And you know why God disciplined me like that? Because God knew that before he formed me in my mother's womb, he knew that this was the work that he had for me. A pastor of a church. That's what I did until about a, a year ago. Now I'm, I'm like a regional thing. I cruise around to the different churches and I try and help them. But if God didn't teach me that, what would it do to a church if you came to me and you shared your deepest, darkest secrets with me and I help you to work through it and we prayed the blood of Jesus over you and God removed your sin as far as the east is from the west and then the next day I'll start try telling your story in the town. What would that do to you? That would devastate you. And God says that if you hurt my church, I will hurt you. And so God early in my Christian walk taught me this lesson that we do not speak about people because he knew the call and the plan and the purpose and the destiny that he had for my life. And he knew that he had to shape into me Jesus. So it's not that, and so can I just maybe qualify that? It's not that we never speak about people. Because sometimes you have to, you, in order to help someone, you need to get them help. But always the smallest amount of people and always the right people and always out of the motivation of love and not out of Skinner, right? Does that make sense? Sorry? <laughs> and so, so what did God do to me there? He was sprinkling the blood of Jesus on me because he was consecrating me. So my question to you is, is was God busy with you? Because all of us put up our hands and said, we want to be used by God. But are we willing to allow the Holy Spirit to work his processes in us so that we can become more usable? Like he had a, and that's only one story. I mean, I've got thousands. And I've got current stories too because I'm not perfect. But I'm, at least I'm usable, you know. But there's still some stuff that God needs to tweak in me. Just like he's got to tweak stuff in you. And so that's the first thing that the blood does, is it makes us usable in God's kingdom. The second thing is, is that the blood was poured. It was poured for expiation. So what would happen is, is that if you sinned, then you had to take a, a lamb or a, or a goat, and you had to go to the altar, and you had to say to the priest, I did this. Um, the priest would then uh, take the lamb, you would... You would hold it. You would lay your hands on the ram's or the, 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 the lamb's head. 
you would confess your sin, and then the priest would cut the throat of the, the lamb, he would catch the blood, and he would pour it out on the side of the altar. That's how the sacrificial system worked. Just think of this quickly. How much is a lamb worth today? Also bry. Who wants to bry? Who likes brying? How much is a lamb today? How much? 2,000 rand? I don't know. The Buddha. How much is a lamb? Dirk? 2,000. I tell you, I'm not going to sin because 2,000 rand, here we go. And then tomorrow, 2,000 rand, here we go. Sin is costly. It costs us. It costs so much that it cost God the life of His Son. The blood of Jesus is precious. And I know that we might make mistakes. God makes allowances for that. But let's not be flippant with God's blood. The other thing is this. Is that here I go. I'm going to the priest. And then tomorrow I go again and everyone's standing by that tent and go, Ha! I'm going to go again. We have to say that with our children in the tent. And so the blood of Jesus was was he was slain and his blood was poured out on the side of the altar. And so what it does is this the, the pouring of the blood is the expiation, big word, removal of sin from us. Now to expiate sin, uh, Psalm uh, it's 108, eh? We can put it on the board. It says that God removes as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So when we accept the blood of Jesus onto those sinful areas in our life, God removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. Does the east and the west ever touch? No, the east goes that way, I suppose, and the west goes that way. Am I wrong? Menofmir. <laughs> no, they never touch, not even somewhere there in Russia. So when God takes your sin and you bring it under the blood of Jesus, he removes it as far as the east is from the west from you. It never touches you again. Romans, uh, Hebrews says this. Hebrews 9, 28. No, not that one. It's the one that God remembers our sin no more. Hebrews 9, 28. Oh, it is there. No, it's not. Christ was offered to bear the sins of many. Oh, so I apologize, I gave you the wrong scripture. Hebrews 10, 17 says this. Also he adds, their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. What does that mean? God will remember your sins no more. What does it mean? Does God forget our sin? Well, it says that God remembers it no more. But does God have Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's or dementia? No. So God does remember our sin. So that's obviously not what that scripture means. That word there is menomasomai in Greek, which is a compound word. It's made up out of two different words. The one word is meno, to pause and to stay in a place. And the other word is masomai, to chew, to masticate. 
So what that means is this. How many of you have seen cows? This is things where you get your milk from. In the morning, the cows, if you, they run into the field, and then what do they do? They eat. And then in the afternoon, they go find a shady place, and what do they do? Disgusting, they vomit in their mouths. How many stomachs does a cow have? Three, four, five, how many? Three, four. And then they bring up what they've collected in the morning, they vomit it into the mouth, and then they chew it. And that's what that scripture means, is God doesn't vomit up your old stuff that you did and re-chew it. So it means this. When I was a little boy, I got some pocket money, two rand at that stage, I think. At this buy help. I hear they want to make like 10 rand coins now, which probably means our money is getting worthless. So. And, uh, but I had a problem as a little boy. My desire for sweets was more than the amount of money that I got. And so opposite the road, there was a cafe. And I used to go into that cafe, and there was Wilson Toffees there. You remember Wilson Toffees? I used to love the blue ones. But the yellow ones were also nice, the banana ones. And then I would take some of the toffees, and I would put it into my underpants. And I would take some of the toffees, and I would take it to the till, and I would pay for it. And then I would go home, and I would enjoy my sweets. What did I do? I stole. What did that make me? A thief. But when I came to Jesus, Jesus died for all my sins. So now when I come into his presence, does he see, oh, yes, Monai, the thief? Or does he see, yes, yes, Monai, my son? You see, God changes your identity. And where previously I was a thief and a sinner and a liar and a fornicator, God took my identity, put it under the blood of Jesus, and expiated, removed my sin as far as the east is from the west. So now when I come into his presence, he sees he as my son. Which means that now we have free access to God, even when we make mistakes. You see, now when we make mistakes, we don't want to walk away and hide from him. We need to run towards him, not away from him, especially when we make mistakes. So Hebrews says, today in your need, in your hour of mercy, approach the throne room of grace. Because Jesus' blood is there. Even if you make a mistake today, his blood will cover and will remove the identity of the sin from you and restore your identity that God has purchased for you on the cross. So that you can walk in your plan, your purpose, your destiny. You guys still with me? Are you guys shocked that I stole? Little sticky underpants. The third thing is, is that they used the, the blood to mark with. And the great story here is the, the Israelites, as they were being taken out of Egypt. And they, you remember the last plague? There was all the plagues. Obviously, there was the paras and the sprinkana and da, 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 and the blood turned into water and like the river turned into water and all that stuff. And then Pharaoh's like, eventually, I'll just go. No, 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 it wasn't just go. It was first like I said, all right. I'm going to kill every firstborn son in Egypt. But every door that is marked with the blood of the lamb 
the angel of death passed over. And so the Israelites slay, they had to sacrifice a, a lamb, and then they would take the blood, put it in a bowl, they would take a hyssop branch, and they would mark the lintels and the doorposts. What's that? Sign of cross. And they would have a bry, and then they would eat, and that night the angel of death came. And every firstborn died. But every door that had the blood of Jesus on it, the angel of death passed over. And the next day, they left. Pharaoh said, go. And they went into freedom. And propitiation is a big word that means this. And let me give you a scripture for that. Uh, God's blood propitiates our sin. For, For God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, this was shown God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over our former sins. Propitiation is a sacrifice that turns away wrath. It's a sacrifice that turns away anger. You know that third level of sin where we break the rules and we know that we're in trouble and there's anger that waits for us? That's why we don't want to come into his presence? Is Jesus' blood takes away the anger of God and he brings us into the love of God. It's the sacrifice that turns away God's anger so that we can now live as sons and daughters in his love. Right. I know that point didn't come across that, that well, but let's just move on. I've got a little story I can tell, but we, we've been going for 30 minutes. So. And the fourth is, is the blood was wrung out as dedication. And there's another place in the New Testament that word, that word wrung out is used. It's used in Leviticus 1.50. And the priest shall bring it to the altar and the wing of its head and burn it on the altar and its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar. It shall be wrung out. In Gideon 6 verse 38, Gideon wrung out the water on the fleece. So this, the, the blood of Jesus will bring us into a dedicated life where the Holy Spirit is upon our life so that we can become useful for God. You guys know the story of Gideon? There's Israelite, there's judges, um, Gideon's in the wine press because the Amalekites and all the ites are busy coming and the Amorites and they, the parasites and the Jebusites and the... You know, it's a bad time in Israel's history. And these oaks used to come out of the desert and Israel would farm and then they would come and steal all their stuff. And so they were, the Bible says they were as many as the locusts of the, of the desert. You know, there's just like thousands of them. And Gideon wasn't a very brave guy. He was quite a fearful guy. That's why he was hiding in the wine press while these oaks were coming. And the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon and says to him, listen, I'm going to want to use you as God's deliverer. I want to deliver Israel through you. And Gideon's like, are you sure, Lord, it's me? You see, God wants to use you in his kingdom. And you might not feel very brave. You might be thinking like, I'm the smallest guy of the tribe, and this tribe is the smallest tribe of Israel. You know, like all the like Moses, yeah, I, yeah, I'm called, but God, I can't speak. Now we always have these excuses why God can't use us. I'm not eloquent, or I don't know enough, or so God comes to him and Gideon's like, yeah, Lord, it's not me. I'm thinking you've made a mistake. He said, but I'll do it, but give me a sign. So uh, he says, God says, yeah, all right, ask for a sign. So there's a threshing floor, which is kind of like it's a, it's a place where they would thresh the grain. It would be like an open area. 
a rock. And um, he says, I'm going to put down a fleece, a scalp feliki. And if tonight it dews only on the fleece and the threshing floor is dry, then, I'm going to, then I know it's you. Then I'll do whatever you ask. I'll be Israel's deliverer like you want me to be. And he's like, okay. So it happens. And Gideon's like, oh, I can't believe it happened. You know, dew doesn't work like that. If it, in the morning when I get to my car, my whole car's wet. Not just a part of the car. It's a sign and a wonder. So God gives him a sign to create faith in his heart. And there's no faith, there's just fear. So he says, okay, well, tonight, Lord, if you reverse the sign for me, if you will cause it to do on the rock, but not on the fleece, then I'll do what you want me to. So God's like, all right, I'm the God that created everything. I'm the God that created you. I'm the God that spoke and caused the world to be created. So I'll do it. So the next morning, Gideon wakes up and it's like, prachtach. Do all around the fleece, but the fleece is dry. What does that mean? Well, it means this. That the threshing floor is the world. And Jesus came into the world to die for us. And he had the Holy Spirit without measure. And then what happened? Jesus died and he said, it's better that I go away because when I go away, he will come to you. So Jesus standing on the mountain where he was taken up says to his disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait until he comes upon you. The Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so the Holy Spirit has come and has been poured out out upon Joel, all flesh. And Jesus was taken up because Jesus left the Holy Spirit here with us. Which means what? But don't hide in your inadequacy and your fear. Because Jesus' blood dedicates you to service and empowers you just like he empowered Gideon. And God wants to use you in, in, in Acts when the Spirit got power to said they received power when the Spirit came out, came upon them. Power to be witnesses. Power to do the things that God's called them to do. And that's what the blood of Jesus does for us. So the blood of Jesus enables us to do the work that God has called us. It removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. It gives us a new identity. It consecrates us. It makes us holy and useful in the work of the Lord. It removes God's anger from us and brings us into his a relationship with him as sons and daughters so that he will walk a path with us so that we can be with him, that there's nothing that will separate us. And it enables us to live a dedicated life under the power of the Holy Spirit to participate with God within the context of the church so that the, the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. And that's why Jesus came to die for those four things. And that's the blood of Jesus. Jesus.